You're listening to Chris Scott on FM 105, Down Community Radio. Miami Sound Machine, led by Gloria Estefan and Bad Boys from 1986. And that starts off tonight's show, folks. Do stay tuned with me, Chris Scott, here on FM 105, Down Community Radio, with you for the next hour. Bad Boy is sort of really appropriate song to set the background for tonight's programme. I'm in conversation with a new author from Kalilei, Zara McCormick, and she's talking to me about her book titled A Stitch Up, and it's a Narish Mafia romance. It's set in Dublin, and it's for readers over the age of 18. That's all I'm going to say about it. It is already out there uh, in the public domain, and it's drawing in excellent reviews online. Well done, Zara. Zara also talks to me about her own background, and she also talks to me at length about how she and her husband Stuart survived a traumatic shooting incident in October 2017 over in Las Vegas in America. I just got to put a caveat in there at that point that please note that that part of the interview may be upsetting to some listeners. I'm in conversation with Zara after this. Chatting with Chris on FM 105 Down Community Radio. Your station, your voice. Well, this week we're back in Killalay again. Uh, a place where there's a plethora of artists, musicians, footballers even in the past, craftspeople. And for some reason, authors, because on this programme in the past, we've had a local girl, Nicola Ferris, and Gabrielle McMaster, uh, all different genres, but someone totally different tonight, uh, from Killalay. She's an author or authoress. Zara McCormick with an I, isn't that right? McCormick with an I? Yeah. Zara McCormick, welcome to the programme tonight. Hiya, how are you? Good. And you are a new author, just newly published, not that long ago. No, no, just the 1st of June was whenever the books released, um, the paperback and the ebook. So yes, very new, very fresh. <laughs> wow. You, you, and I, I'm going to tell, well, we'll talk about the book later. We'll, we'll talk about your background, but the, the book's called A Stitch Up, I think it's called. Yes. And it's a Narish Mafia romance. Whoa, that's different, isn't it? Um, probably a little. Um, it's different in the fact that it's based in Dublin. If you read a lot of Irish mafia books, like romance books, they are Irish, but they're based in New York, while I've made mine in Dublin in Ireland, um, as not a lot of people have done that, and I wanted to show off our little island and see how pretty it is. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But you're from Killalay, so you know you base something in Dublin. Have you good knowledge of Dublin? Uh, yes, and a lot of Google. <laughs> uh, Google helps a lot, very much. Uh, but yes, I have been down Dublin a lot for concerts, country concerts, zoo. So yeah, it did help, but Google helped more, to be honest. Uh, and the other theme, Irish Mafia. You know, we have, I, I'm of a different generation from you, maybe a couple of decades away from you, but you know, we went through a trouble period and, and, and there were organisations here, but Irish Mafia, that's that's totally different, isn't it? Well, it is a wee bit, but in the book it does actually talk about the Troubles. So it does talk about up north and um, the two different sides that there is and what they do in conflict and then how, well, I've put a twist on how the Mafia is involved and how it helps in one side or not the other or how the other side does something. Trying not to give away the story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's just trying to put a twist on the kind of troubles in a side. But there is talk about it, so it's not all mafia, mafia, if that makes sense. Just a hint of it. And of course, it doesn't just stop there because it goes a lot further than that. And uh, bearing in mind that we're, we're not past the watershed yet on the programme, but there, there's a romance going on in this book, for, for want of a better word. 
Yes, a lot of romance. Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of romance. The just of it is there's a mafia dom, so he's like the head, the king, and there's a young girl and she's a bookstagrammer um, and she gets caught taking pictures of something that she shouldn't have been taking pictures of, so then she's been kidnapped and while she's been kidnapped, she falls in love. So it's a bit of Stockholm Syndrome, I think it's called, as well in there. <laughs> um, and while she's with him, she gets kidnapped again you know she's having really bad luck to be honest to the girl um but while she's being kidnapped again she finds out that no this is who she wants to be with and this is the dark side and this is where she wants her life to be yeah it's a bit of a twist a bit of a twist but it's a good twist for how romance is meant to be it's not meant to be born <laughs> that's brilliant so it is so your own background so you know you've we'll go through how you got, got to the book stage you know but you, you know winding back the clock is this something you've always wanted to do i mean am i allowed to reveal your age because you sort of had a big birthday not that long ago you want to tell everyone how old you are 21 i'm 21 <laughs> <laughs> and the vat rate on that is what <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I turned 30. <laughs> I was trying, I was trying. Um, so yeah, I turned 30. I've been reading probably about the past 10 years, like properly reading. Um, it was Fifty Shades that got me involved. I started it. This is where it all spiraled from. And then I went a wee bit to the dark side um, of the darker romance. And then since I started reading it, it was like, I can do this. I think I can do better. So I decided I'd try. Not sure I've done better, but I've tried. That's what I wanted to do. We'll see if we can get a Yale James on the other on the other uh, line here. Just yeah. that, but you know what? That so was that that was your inspiration, was it? Yeah, that was the start of it. it was Yale James and then um, Judy Mal Judy something Epolis her name is. Um, she done this man series, and so they're kind of like the billionaire kind of side of it. <laughs> this is going to sound so confusing this is like the billionaire romance um, and then I kind of went down the route of like Catherine Wiltshire and she's like the dark romance so she's like your mafias and torture and kidnap and I liked it a wee bit better so I thought I'll try it and see if I can write it and I did there was something that I, I was looking on, on Facebook and, and you'd made a comment um, that Writing is 10% typing and 90% staring at your computer trying to find a better way to, to describe someone eating a piece of toast. And I get that. So were you feeling under pressure to have this written, do you know? Uh, probably just under pressure from myself. Um, but yeah, I can tell you I wrote probably about, say, 30,000 words and then just hit delete on all of it and started again. Done that several times. Um, so yeah it is very much just staring at a computer screen going please just give me the words that I need um, but you do get there eventually at some point like it took me six months yeah, <laughs> to wow. do the first part so and then it took me a year from then to get yeah. it out I, I don't know was it 81,317 words or something like that was on your word documents it's up to 87 yeah wow. 87,000 words is the final finish <laughs> by the time you so the first draft's about 82 and then you go to an editor yeah. and then she decides to tell you that really you're rubbish and you need to add in a load of more words to make it better so you do that and then you go to like a development editor and she tells you now nah, you haven't developed your characters very well so then she makes you add in a pile more words to make them better. And then you go to a proofreader and she's like, you haven't spelled half of that right. <laughs> <laughs> so then 
you have to go back and then you realize oh right I've left out words and I haven't put that in and then obviously being Irish a lot of them don't understand our slang as my editor was from Australia so she was totally confused on why we put like we in front of everything she was like but that's not like a wee chur you're like but it is a wee chur that's how you say it's a wee chur (laughs) she was like it's just a chur I'm like no it's not so trying to explain that to somebody from not here was a lot of work. So yeah, that's how we got up to about 87, 88,000 words in a book of 300 pages. So that's all I know. Chatting with Chris on FM 105, Down Community Radio. Your station, your voice. Well, Zara, words may not come easy, and that's how I'm going to choose the next tune tonight. So it's FR David with that 1983 hit, Words. Back with Zara McCormick after this. Chatting with Chris on FM 105 Down Community Radio. Your station, your voice. So, Sarah, you, you could tell someone like they wind your neck and they're not going to understand that, but that's a point. If someone's telling you that your character's not strong, what did you think of that? You know, it's you, it's, just, it's, it's, it's your character. So, what, how did you feel about that? Um, at the start, it was a wee bit annoyed because it was like, that's my work, how dare you? Um, but Whenever you sit back and you actually take in their advice and what they're saying, you're like, no, they're right. They're all they're trying to do is help. They're not trying to tell you that you're never going to be an author. You're rubbish at it. All they're trying to do is make you better. So then you'll sell more and people will want more from you as an author. Um, in my book, I have two main characters, but I have a lot of side characters. So they were trying to develop the side characters as well. So then I would have an opportunity to do more books with using them characters while I was just trying to pop them in to be like oh look there's this there's be Johnny there but then she was the editor was like no if you develop him him a wee bit more her a wee bit more then you can get a second book out of this you know so yes at the start it was a bit heart-wrenching and give up and never doing this again but once I settled down, had a wee glass of gin, it was fine. I was like, okay, I can do this, I can do this. A lot of pep talk. <laughs> but you, you know, you can sit down and have a wee glass of gin, but am I right in saying you, you have a husband, you have a young child, you have a job as well, so you're trying to fit all this in around everything. Yeah, how did all that work? Um, well, the first bit was a wee bit easy because my child was only a year and he slept for like two hours okay. naps. Yes. Them two hour naps is whenever I've done most of my writing. And he is a good child. He goes to bed about eight o'clock. So from about eight to nine, eight to ten, I would have wrote um, unless the husband was watching TV or dosing my head. Mainly he went to golf. I'm not going to lie. He goes to golf a lot. Okay. So it was great. He went away out for four hours and hit a ball or something like that. Anyway, um, So, yeah, he done that. So, no, it did work out. Work was a bit harder because, I, well, I work three days, but there's three long days. So whenever I was at work, I didn't write. Because um, I was too tired, so I just came home and had gin that night instead. <laughs> now, I'd, I'd, I'd asked you about how it all started, but I'm going to rewind even further back to school life. You know, at school, it always amazes me, authors, a lot of them said, I wasn't actually very confident in school, I didn't write good essays, that wasn't... You know, where, how did you see yourself, you know, growing up? Um, English is not my strong point, I was more a maths person in science. <laughs> So I don't know why I got into writing a book, if I'm very honest. Um, no, uh, school, I was crap at English. You can go ask my English teacher. I don't think she liked me very much either. Um, but yeah, it was literally, it's really just since I've been reading the books that I've got better and a wee bit more confidence in myself. But even if you ask my husband, like he'll tell you, I still can't pronounce words right. Like, for example, like there's a dinosaur called Diplodocus. 
But I call it Diplo Dodis. I can't say it together. It's a bit like a Joey moment from Friends. (laughs) So my husband gets very frustrated with me at home. (laughs) Um, Whenever I'm reading a book, I'm like, what's that? And he's like, I want you to tell me what that word is. And I don't say it right. So then I read the whole book with the wrong word. Yeah, so no, I'm still useless. <laughs> but you, I, I, I think we're all guilty of that because, you know, I've read books in the past and, and whatever that word is or that name, sometimes names are a bit funny. You're, you're saying that into yourself in your head, so it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. They're not going to know. No, exactly. And most of the books I read are, like I said, mafia-based. So they're all Russian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're Russian names or Italian names. And, like, I can't speak either of them languages. Mm-hmm. So I just guess what it says and then at the end of the book I'll ask my husband and he laughs at me because he's like that's totally not what that says and I can't believe you've read that whole book with that and I'm like yeah I think that sounds better anyway so yeah yeah. no English is definitely not my strong point which is why I think my editor and proofreader had a bit of a hard time with me (laughs) so yeah but we got there in the end (laughs) on 105FM and around the world online This is FM 105, your local station, live from the heart of Downpatrick. Chatting with Chris on FM 105, Down Community Radio. Your station, your voice. Zara, you're, I was going to say you're no, well, you're maybe stranger to to radio, uh, with local radio here, you know, but you're not really stranger to the press in the past and TV and, you know, you're 30 years of age, but. There, there's a lot of water under the bridge, and, and maybe you're going to want to tell us a wee bit about that. You, you did make headlines here locally in Kilway, 2017, perhaps I think that it was, isn't that right? Yeah. So in 2000, so we'll go back. So 2016, me and Stuart got engaged, and we decided we were going to get married in the Clandy Boy in 2019. Then 2017 came, and. Um, we seen a country festival in Las Vegas for three days and Stuart was like, let's go to it. And I was like, well, if we're going there and get married, I'm not getting married at home then. We can't afford to do both. And Stuart was like, no, I want to get married at home. I want the big day. Stuart's princess and <laughs> I'm not. So we compromised and we got married in Las Vegas. <laughs> but... Whenever we were booking Las Vegas, we didn't tell anybody. The only people we told were our parents and our siblings. So nobody else knew that we were going to Las Vegas to get married. So we (laughs) turned up to the airport and my mum and dad surprised me. They were in the airport, so they came out with us. I didn't know they were coming, so they came out with us. So we went out to Vegas. We got married on the Friday, which was the 29th of September we got married that Friday we went to the concert I went to the concert in my wedding dress I wow. just just what's yeah. the point so I went, got married went to the concert in my wedding dress um done that Friday Saturday and then Sunday was the final night we went to the concert and then it took a bad turn so we were standing watching and it was the final act Jason Aldean was on and at four minutes past ten we heard the first three pops it was obviously gunshots but it just sounded like pops firecrackers that's how you the only way to describe it so we heard it and i remember distinctly standing beside Stuart and like pulling him like pulling him backwards and i just remember Stuart going it's fireworks and i'm like it's not it's five past ten the show's not over till 11. i just remember kept pulling him and Stuart was like it's fireworks calm down but i knew deep down in my head it's it's not it's something um 
and then about felt like two seconds later but i think it was technically two minutes later um that's whenever it properly started it was 200 bullets a minute for 12 minutes um rained down on us um while we were in the concert people dropped to the ground because as you see in the news or on the tv shows um it's meant like you expect somebody to be standing with you on the ground mm -hmm. so they shoot across mm -hmm. but um this fella was in the hotel so he was shooting down on top of us so anybody who sat down were just a sitting duck and that's the only way to describe it because that's all they were they weren't moving he had complete angles yeah. um so because me and Shirt were up we, we ran we went to one exit and they were pushing us back because they were telling us it was like they, they were telling us there was like gunfire just out on the street uh, which we now know that wasn't true. So then we went to another exit um, and we did get out and we were running towards our hotel, which was the MGM. So we were running towards Hooters and MGMs was right across the road. And as we were running, we were about, not even kidding, we were 10 steps away from getting into our hotel. And somebody just came out shouting, there's a shooter, there's a bomb. So that was that, you weren't getting in. So at this point, we didn't know if that was real. It wasn't real. So we were like, right, we need to run. So we ended up in a car park, um, hiding between cars. Um, like, you know the big Jeeps that they have over mm -hmm. in America? The big, mm -hmm. big wheels? Yes, like, literally yes. hiding behind a wheel, checking underneath to see if there was any feet to run to the next wheel. Because you didn't know to who to trust, who not to trust. Um, so we were just running. Then we found like a wee area where there was limousines. Um, so we kind of like barricaded ourselves in there with two other fellas that were at the concert. Um, while still hearing all the screams, all the gunshots. Um, we were just sitting there um, waiting, <laughs> basically, to find out what we could do. Stuart was on Twitter. Stuart had actually phoned his sister, who was here in Calais phoned her and was like get on twitter and find out what is happening because we don't know what's going on um so jade was texting us going on twitter this was there was apparently an active shooter in the new york new york hotel there was one in deluxe store there was one in the mgm so we were just like what my mom and dad were in the her the harar hotel it was just up the road a wee bit mm -hmm. so we were phoning my mom and telling her stay in the hotel don't you dare come out my mother and father decided, no, we'll get on to wee monorail and we'll come up. <laughs> so that was a panic. We did eventually get them back down to their hotel room and then we walked down to them. Um, and we, we actually stayed in their room for the night. Uh, but watching the news, like we got into their room and locked the door. And Mum and Dad stayed in bed and we were, we were absolutely petrified. We actually slept on the floor on the other side of the bed in our heads going if anybody's going to come in there here as horrible as it sounds but they'll not get us in a sense because we're down lower mm -hmm. um as we were sitting in the room someone actually rapped my mum's room door and my mum just got up to answer it like as if it was normal while me and Stuart and I mean we were squealing at the top of our voices going don't answer it you don't know who that is mum's like well we'll not know till we answer and we're like no there's a shit out there's and my mum just had no clue what was even happening and um, so that was a, another scary moment then we got settled 
And that next morning, my mummy had to fly home and leave me. And I just remember standing at the hotel, gurning my lamps out, going, my mummy's left me and I don't know if I'm getting home. I don't know if I'm going to see her again. I've already just been through the worst night of my life. And so, yeah, that it was, it was horrendous. It really was. And it actually turned out that he had a bomb in the Luxor mm-hmm. car park, mm-hmm. um, which didn't go off, thankfully. Um, but he had a car filled, ready um, to go off in the Luxor while he was in the Mandalay Bay. Um, they do believe that he didn't actually mean to shoot himself at the time that he did from the way that they were able to analyse how he shot himself. They believe that he actually slipped on one of the bullets or whatever shells off it and he managed to shoot himself with a handgun but that wasn't meant to happen um, from what they were able to find. Um, they were able to find like the evidence of like how he had actually calculated the distance and the angles and how he would get the most impact how you get the most death that's mm. the only way of putting it um he also would try to blow up the oil tanks at the airport mm-hmm. first which is what we heard first because he, in his head if he blew that up then the police and stuff would have went there and they wouldn't have helped us the other thing that las vegas did which is right or wrong um was whenever they found out it was an active shooter and um people were obviously dying they turned off the lights in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. It's very bright. No, no. Um, so they turned off the lights in the, I think where the south end or north end, whatever side it was, at the end. Um, so he couldn't see us mm-hmm. for shooting. But then we were struck because yeah. we couldn't get out. Yeah. So other people were getting injured and hurt because people were just running, but we couldn't see anything. We didn't know mm-hmm. what, you know, who was who and what was what. Um, and then obviously the the response call or the emergency services couldn't get to us either because they couldn't see. So where were they running to? Who were they meant to help? Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a, it was a tough call. It was, there's no point lying because I wouldn't have liked to make the call myself. But it was just, put us in darkness to try to save us. But did they? Yeah. It was an answer, you know, we don't know. We don't know. But yeah, it's just, it was a horrible night. <laughs> Sarah, that's, that's an incredible story. And, you know, one that no one ever wants to, wants to go through but the aftermath so you're a couple of newlyweds way out of your depth in another country what happened after that i mean you obviously got back home at some stage but the interim period were, were there police interviews had you to go through anything like that was there any follow-ups or anything like that um no <laughs> none whatsoever and um, the americans really couldn't care less they were very much have got the shooter and they'll just deal mm-hmm. with that in a sense um, we were meant to fly home. So that happened the Sunday night. We were meant to fly home on the Tuesday. We phoned down travel because that's who we booked it with. And they were able to get us a flight home on the Monday. Because um, obviously we didn't want to be there any longer than we had to be. So we got out on the Monday. Um, but the, <laughs> I just remember getting into the taxi to go to the airport. Obviously we're still very shaky. Not sure who to trust. Still looking around us. Um, and in the taxi and the guy to be a taxi driver was like so where are you where are you from we're like from Ireland and he was like oh you, he's going home we're like yeah and he's like 
you think that's a safe place? I'm like, yes, yeah, fucking safer than here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. to them, yeah. they still think we're yeah. in a war. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, no, yeah. we're really not. We're really in peace times. Yeah. But to them, we they think Ireland's not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, while me and were like, no, we want home. It's way mm-hmm. safer than here. Get me home. Um, but no, there was nothing like that way with the police and stuff. The only thing was whenever we came home, obviously, we were traumatized um so we were both not very well um whenever we started to seek help um mentally nobody would take us mm. uh because we weren't a part of the troubles so wow. they wouldn't see us wow. okay. um even though it was still guns and yes. trauma yes. and yeah. blah, blah blah nope they would not see us because we were not a part of the troubles um, which was very, very hard to take in. Um, like at this point, we didn't know if we were coming or going. Like we really didn't know what was going on. Um, and we actually ended up going to the the hub in Ballahinch and there was a counsellor there and she deals with um, trauma. Mm-hmm. And thankfully we found her. Now, it's that, that was the only good out of it was that we found her and she done our sessions for free. We didn't have to pay for them at all. So like, yeah. like she, she just wanted to help us so much, um, and she did. Um, we seen her. Uh, we told her we were going back to Las Vegas for our one-year anniversary and for the first-year anniversary of Route 91. She told us we were crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like, are you sure that the youth are ready for this? And we're like, yes, we have to go face it. Because in our heads, it wasn't Las Vegas' fault. It was his fault. And it still is his fault. It's not the hotel's fault um, either. It's, we don't blame, well, I don't blame Mandalay Bay. I, I blame him. I blame the system and how they're allowed to carry guns and how he was able to get them up unnoticed. But that's not the hotel's fault. That's just their policies need looked at, but that's never going to happen. Um, so, yeah, we, we went back for the year. We had to see our counsellor the day before we left. To go back for the year and we had to see her two days whenever we returned she that was her conditions letting us go <laughs> um and whenever we came back she was like no i think that was probably the best thing you did was go back and face your demon in a sense and um i have to say like whenever we were there we really enjoyed ourselves but on that night the first of october 2018 uh from half nine i said till about half ten me and Stuart just sat in our hotel room because we were scared. There's no point lying. We were. We just were like, God, is this going to happen again? Is someone going to try? Like a copycat? Because you do hear mm-hmm. about things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, nothing happened. And it was all fine. And yeah, I would go back to Vegas in the morning. <laughs> the experiences you have had uh, are unreal. Do you know, the ordinary 5-8 in this world hopefully never wants to experience that or see that. And then all these years later... You've written a book about the Irish Mafia. And on the front cover, you have a, a gentleman uh, with a, some sort of gun or something, and he's sort of putting it under a seat, which you would expect the Mafia to carry, you know. Is there a link there? Not really, because actually in the book, I don't actually have that many gun scenes, in a sense. Um, I think I have three in total. Um, but I don't really go into depth too much about it. Um, but the difference for me is that Yes, it's a mafia, but he's a, he's a criminal. <laughs> he's mm. meant to do these kind of things. He's meant to be bad. Um, this person in Las Vegas 
was just an ordinary man and I think that's also the hard part sorry going back to Vegas but the hard part of that was whenever they do these whenever these people do smash shootings and stuff there's always a reason behind it with him they couldn't give us one so we didn't get a closure in a sense they couldn't turn around and go the reason he did this was he's a gambler and he lost all his money he didn't he was a billionaire but like they still couldn't give us a definite answer and go oh it's because he lost all his money in Vegas so he just took it out in Vegas that's not true because he actually had three planned and we were just the one that he hit he had two others planned and he wasn't able to carry them out because he didn't get the right room or um, the temperatures right right something or the weather wasn't right or something so yeah we were the lucky ones we got him um, but yeah it's no my book's nothing to do with that my book's a criminal that's what he's meant to do he's meant to be a bad boy um but no because he was just a lunatic <laughs> yeah, okay. you, you said there when um they haven't come up with anything have have people over there been in touch have victims you know been in touch with each other and is there is there a liaison people who do that um, well, the police didn't give us anything. They didn't tell us. They went through every document or whatever they could find of him and they couldn't give us a reason. But we do, me and Stuart are both in um, the Route 91 survivors group on Facebook and Instagram. And there is, uh, there's a wee centre in Las Vegas that we're actually still in contact with. We're st- still in contact with the woman that done our marriage licence from Las Aww. Vegas. Uh, so she sends us things um, every Christmas for the wee man um, and she sends us like loads of stuff from like the healing garden. Las Vegas has a healing garden for the 59 people that passed away. Um, so she would send us lots from it and like we have the Las Vegas healing book and stuff. So yes, we're still very much in contact with everybody. But we're not the only ones that were affected from Northern Ireland. Like we met up with another two girls that were from, um, they're from Tyrone or somewhere like that. Um, and like we've went to concerts with them since we've came home now they were like I said like me and Stuart were able to run and get out of it in a sense um, these two girls are both sisters one of the sisters was actually trapped behind the bar while that was going and she says like, like she was telling us like she's seen people get shot and die and she decided that she would drink a bottle of whiskey because she was like well if I'm going to go might as well go drunk <laughs> so she was behind the bar and her sister got back to their hotel but she didn't she was stuck there for hours until the police came and got her like that's their two girls just from tyrone like they're not that far from us at all and we met another couple from scotland that we're still in contact with um and they were also there they also seen bullets fly and people drop and they've been back to las vegas and all they're doing great so you know it's brought us actually probably closer to different people yeah. in a sense like yeah. people we probably would never have met yeah. um but yeah we have a there is a good community like i said like obviously I've published my book i've just put it up onto my written 91 speed group on facebook because in my book i do dedicate there's a wee bit i say about um written 91 and i do say like in my book what happened at the back the acknowledgements and stuff so people do know um and like a lot of them were like so happy for you and they're buying the book they just want to read it because they just want to support you because they're just seeing how well you're doing um that's all they want mm-hmm. they just want you to be happy and that's all yeah. we want we just want them to be happy and move right. on with their lives and um, some people haven't been lucky to as in 
there's a couple of people who were in Route 91 shooting and then they were in the other bar, country bar shooting a couple of months later and they died. They didn't make it out of that one, you know, so. And like, there's loads of them like that are still talking. They're just like, oh, there's another shooting down the road or there's a shooting in my office building. You're just like, what? This is not normal. Like, can you not see this is not normal? But to them it is. You know, they, they get drills on this. Like they're meant to know what to do. I don't know what to do, so I don't know how they're meant to know what to do. But yeah, so you still hear a lot about it. That's on the wee site is that they would be putting up a lot of the active shooting because obviously a lot of people are still affected. It's still a trigger for them. While over here, we didn't get that that much, thankfully. <laughs> but, but Sarah, the main point, and we'll, we'll come back to the book, the, the main point is that there is help available out there. You know, there are a lot of people that will support you and that, that, that that's very, very important. Yes, yes. Um, main is support mental health. Um, if anybody needs it, go get it. Whether you need a tablet to help you or whether you just need to talk to somebody, there's no right or wrong way, but your life is worth living. Definitely, definitely your life is worth living. And don't let anybody make you feel that it's not, because it is, it really is. You're listening to Chris Scott on FM 105, Down Community Radio. Well, it is a book based in Dublin, and it's a great excuse to play another classic tune on the programme tonight. Remember this one from, I think came out first in about 1978, uh, Bagatelle, Irish group Bagatelle, and it's summer in Dublin. Then I'm back in conversation with Sarah McCormick. Chatting with Chris on FM 105 Down Community Radio. Your station, your voice. Back to the book then. So, you had to start somewhere and uh, you had your idea and you started. I don't know whether you developed your ideas well and you changed with bits and bits, but what were the first two words you actually started with? Um, I started with the end because I already had knew how it was going to finish before I knew how it was going to start. <laughs> I kind of knew the in-betweeny parts, yeah. but I didn't know how it was all going to go out, oh, if that yeah. makes sense. So yes, uh, probably not the right way to start a book, any sense. Yes, but I started with the end, worked a wee bit backwards, then went to the start, yeah. then went to the middle, and then kind of filled in the bits in between. Um, but yeah, so how else do you start a book? Why would you start with the start? Yeah. It's a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that was very clever. Well, I've got two words so far, and then you develop from. So tell me this: not having read the book yet, yet I will. Um, but is it one of these plots that they go back and then they jump forward and they go back? And there seem to be a lot of films now like that, a lot of books. That seems to be the magic formula. Have you done that? No. So well, we not really actually. So mm. my book is more. Um, you think it's going down this road, and you think it's. Oh, it's so clear cut. That's what's going to happen. That's the bad person. That's all that. And then it takes just a tiny twist. But that twist is quite big and major. And then you're like, oh, that twist links A, B and C, which I actually thought was D, E and F. So it kind of all just, yeah, once you kind of start reading it, because obviously I've had a few people read it um, and they've been like, I was reading this thinking it was this. And then I got to this part and was like, oh, what? That wasn't meant to happen. Um, I also did a twist as in people uh, with the mafia, obviously people get killed. Um, but I didn't kill a certain character off. 
And people were like, what? I thought that was meant to happen. He was meant to die. And I was like, oh, no, see, he can't die because I need him for another book. So that's why he has to stay alive. <laughs> so I killed off somebody else because he ain't going to make it into a book. So, yeah, there was a bit of that. People were, And they were just a wee bit shocked yeah. um, why I kept this character alive but killed the other one. But, yeah, whenever you read it, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's it's just it's amazing. And uh, were you waking up in the middle of the night going, "Oh, I've got another idea"? No, did you do that, or because of the way your life is, you maybe can't do that. You need your sleep. You know, did did you find yourself doing that? Sitting and no, you wouldn't sit and work and do anything like that, of course. But you know, something comes into your head and you go, "I'm gonna write that down." Oh well, um, during the night, yes, definitely did. I think my well, I was gonna say I think I woke up short, but he didn't. He's a man. Do you sleep all night? Um, <laughs> but yeah, especially if the wee one woke up I would, and I would have woke up and be like, oh, that's so good. And I would have wrote down Lee, would have been like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, mum? Like, go back to sleep, you're fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've done that. Um, in work was a different matter because I work as a dental nurse. So um, while I'm looking over people's mouths and meant to be taking out their saliva and, you know, helping them not drown or choking them, um, I'm usually daydreaming into another world. And while I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I need you to leave so I can write this down. Can you hurry up? Are you not finished? <laughs> <laughs> and usually by the time they get out of the surgery, I'm like, oh, what was that? Oh, I don't really miss that idea. Uh, but yeah, in work, I do a lot of daydreaming. Don't tell my boss. I hope he doesn't listen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of daydreaming in work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you got it all together and then you, you started looking towards publishing. Now, that can be difficult. Uh, I, I know, you know, you're setting scripts off and you get rejects. And you know, nobody's gonna like. So I think you went the self-publishing route then. That was your e- easier option or that's the one that you chose then? Yeah, I, I did try a few... Well, they're called like publishing houses, but what they actually do is they would do all the editing, line editing, development editing, proofreading, cover designs, formatting. They would do all that for you, but then they would just give you the link to put it up on Kindle, Kindle Direct Publishing. So technically it's still a self-publish, but they were going to charge me thousands and thousands. Um, So I was like, oh, I can't do that. So I decided I would do the self-publishing route. The only difference doing it self-publishing route is that you are way finding your editor, then you're way finding your line editor, then you're way finding your development, and then you're way finding... So you're finding everybody and trying to make it all work in together, while if you just sent it to one place, they would do it all for you. Um, but doing it this way of sending it to people was a whole lot cheaper. Um, so, But it was still getting the same end goal. You're still going to be a self-published author. In the end, only cheaper. So that was the only reason I'd done it. And then through my bookstagram, because I do have a bookstagram. Sorry, sorry, hold on. For the older folk like me, a, a what? A whatagram? That's a, that's a new one, though. A bookstagram? Yeah. So uh, it's on Instagram, but it's called bookstagram because uh, it's, it's just a community, in a sense. And all they do is share reviews and books and try to like promote authors and new authors indie authors that kind of stuff um so because i have my own bookstagram account i was actually able to find a lot of my like editors proofreaders cover designers and all because they're because they all have bookstagrams and this is their hobbies so they were able to help me out and because they were helping me out it was a whole lot cheaper and then like my proofreader actually done my proofreading for free 
um, because she is just because we've been really good friends over the mm. past couple of years and she was just so happy that I'd actually managed to write mm. a book and do it so she wanted to help so her help was I'll do your proofreading but I'm not going to charge you and I was like that's great so that way kind of helped and save money the other way of doing that was I actually met um well not met I've like contact a lot of authors and there are like all self-publishing authors as well. So then they were able to tell you what's best, what not to do, what mm-hmm. to do, mm-hmm. um, like to get beta readers, to get arc readers, to get authors to just read your book because obviously they've done it and they'll be able to tell you what's your right, what's wrong. So doing that really helped before I even got to the publishing side because they were mm-hmm. able to tell me what to do and what not to do. Um, so yeah, that was my bookstagram. Yeah. kind of was really helpful to be fair it really did work out <laughs> you know it's a real learning curve you know if you've been a dental assistant you've gone one direction like because it's not just a book as well you have the artwork to think about in the front cover you have your media you have your promotion it's not just like i'll put a few words a few hundred, 50 60 80 thousand words there's more to it oh way way more to it um i had my cover in my head and what i wanted and trying to describe that you think being an author, it would be really simple. <laughs> it really was not simple. Um, so I had to kind of like do a mock-up myself yeah. on, it's a wee app called Canva. Um, so I was managed to kind of do a wee mock-up of it. And then the girl I got to do my cover, um, she made it obviously 10 times more better and amazing and so pretty. And she was able to get the Dublin skyline in the background and stuff for me. I was just picking a skyline. I was like, oh, nobody would really notice. Uh, but apparently they do. So she got Dublin skyline for me. Um, the other big thing I really didn't want was, uh, sounds really stupid, I didn't want a head. I didn't want a male or a female's face. Because whenever I read a book, it's how I imagine the characters to be. So I didn't want my book to tell you this is how they look, if that makes sense. So I didn't want that. Um, so I had to get a fella and chop his head off, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of the thing the mafia do, really, anyway, isn't it? It's just part of the theme, yeah. Oh, yeah, very normal, very normal. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was one of my big main things. I didn't want a face because I didn't want somebody else to think that's who I was trying to describe. Uh, I, that's who I wanted. That's so clever, isn't it? You know, that, that, that just opens up a whole pile more things that you never think of. So the marketing then of the book, right? So you get it all designed, you get it ready, and it's ready to go. Um, what do you do then? What happens? So while you're writing the book, you're also meant to be finding taglines because, you know, like you don't have enough to be doing while you're writing. So you have to be finding taglines. And these are like these are the lines that will that you'll put on the promos to try to catch people's attention. In a sense, there's a few words or a sentence or a dialogue or something that you're going to pull out and then you're going to like put a pretty picture behind it and do fancy stuff and try to make it look pretty. And then they're going to read it and be like, oh, I want to know what that book is. So that part is a bit difficult, but my cover designer did that all for me. So I didn't have to do right. that. I just gave her the lines and she done all the pretty work. And then all I have to do is put it up. Um, so my advertising is like on Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, anything I can put it on for free at the minute is what I'm putting it on. Mainly hoping that like my friends and family will like share it and word of mouth. Um, I do plan to do like obviously I have to pay for advertisements but at the minute I'm just trying to do it for free see how well it go and see if anybody likes it no wait there's someone didn't mention it is a steamy type book 
And you, you know, you have you have a family and so on and so forth. And like, mom's going to read this. You know, your friends are going to read. How is that? Did that cause any sort of? Ah, I don't want to read that. But don't read page six and seven and eight. Leave that out, mom. You know, how did, how did you feel about that? <laughs> Oh, my mother's going to kill me. Um, so, <laughs> you would think that. So, I read the Fifty Shades books, all three of them, and then my mum, being my mum, wanted to know what the crack was and why was I read them, and she had to read them. So, she read them. Then, after she read them, she shouted at me and told me I shouldn't have read them. <laughs> and I was like, but mum, it's a bit too late. I've already read that. So, I think that's what she's going to do with this book as well, is that she's going to read it and be like, you shouldn't have wrote that. That's not what little girls do. I'm like, well, it's out now. That's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's modern day. What am I meant to do? And that's what people want to read. So, people want to see or like think about or whatever. But yeah, that's. Good. Good. <laughs> Good attitude. So it's it's now available out there. So how do people get in touch? How do they get copies of the book? How how do we go about that? Um, so it's just on Amazon. Um, I haven't put it out in like Asda or anywhere like that. So it's on Amazon and it's on everywhere in the world on Amazon basically. So all you have to do is just search for my name because if you put in a stitch up, surprisingly, you get a lot of knitting books. <laughs> so the best way to find it is just type it in my name and it will come up straight away brilliant so we make sure we look out so it's a stitch up it's a narish mafia romance and the author is zara mccormick with an eye now zara before you go have you started books two and three have you any little plots written in the back of black books anywhere in the house well i started book two um whenever i finished book one and then I got really annoyed with the characters. By the way, the characters are not real. I know that, but they seem real to me. So I get really annoyed whenever they don't do what they're told. And <laughs> they weren't following my script. So I put them down and I've said I'll come back to them. I've also started book three and I kind of like book three better <laughs> than book two. So I might put out book three before I put out book two. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. If book two, if the characters play ball, they might be allowed to be put out first. But they have to play ball first. They're not being friends, so they're not my friends. Zara, listen, brilliant. Listen, can we wish you all the best? And thank you for coming in and, and, and speaking to me tonight. And listen, going to wish you all the best with this one. And whenever books three comes out or two comes out, or maybe I'll go to four first, do let us know, won't you? Yes, and thank you for having me. And of course, I'll let you know first, whatever book comes out. Yeah. Chatting with Chris on FM 105, Down Community Radio. Your station, your voice. That's just about it for tonight, folks. Thank you so much to uh, Zara McCormick for having a chat with me tonight. She's from Kellalay. If you'd like to know more, uh, you can order a copy of the book on Amazon and search for Zara McCormick, McCormick with an I, and the book is titled A Stitch Up. She also has a Facebook page, author Zara McCormick. Zara, I wish you all the best with it. Back next week, I'll be back again Wednesday, 7.30pm. That's uh, here on FM 105 Down Community Radio. And the programme, of course, repeats every Sunday night. In case you miss one, yeah, tune back in again, 8 to 9pm. Highlights are also available on all those usual platforms out there. I thought to myself, what am I going to finish the programme with tonight? Well, I want one with the word read in it. So I've got this one. It's Read My Mind by the Killers. Until next week, stay tuned to FM 105 and stay safe, folks. Good night.